Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Of course, at the time, Pluto was a planet and then they changed their mind and now it's it's whatever it is. It's just uh, a not so big as a planet rotating around our sun. Anyway, uh, time to look uh, further afield uh, at our own world. Jonathan de Burke Butler joins us now to bring some stories. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right, the, uh, let's go to the US first. Now, mm. this is... Homeless people aren't allowed to be homeless. As, uh, you could rather glibly put this uh, put this story. Uh, this is in this uh, uh, town of Edmonds in in Washington State. Yeah, Edmonds is a town, as you said, in Washington State, to the north of the major city there, which is Seattle, and, and Seattle plays a bit of a part in this particular story as well. But Edmonds is significantly smaller; it has a population of about forty thousand people, but it has a homeless population of over 1,000 people, so nearly 1,200 people. And that number has increased uh, by almost 50% since its low point in 2015, right? So they're obviously seeing it as a problem, and it is a problem. But, of course, different sides of the uh, authorities there and different people are viewing that problem in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So the city council last week brought in an ordinance on May 17th. They voted five to two uh, that they would make it unlawful for anyone to occupy public property overnight if available shelter is refused, right? So basically what they can do is they can, the the authorities there now, the police have uh, powers to take people who are living rough, okay, uh, or sleeping on the streets, uh, get them a bus ticket and send them to the closest available shelter. However, what's the definition of available shelter? And that's the big part of the story. Anything within 35 miles radius of the Edmund City Council Hall, the town hall. That's very far away. <laughs> yes. Very far away. Well, maybe indeed. not in American terms, uh, yeah, one it, could argue. Yeah, it may be. Uh, but, but, you know, when you consider that, you know, an awful lot of these people are probably have some sort of a life that they've made for themselves, yeah. albeit, albeit not one that they've chosen, and they have an awful lot of uh, facilities and help close at hand. If they're being dragged out of their tent in the middle of the night and forced to get on a bus and go all the way down to Seattle or other cities in the area like Everett, I believe, uh, or places like that, then it's going to be an issue, given that these places have major homeless problems themselves as yes, well. You yeah. know? Uh, and this was something that was told to the Edmund City Council before this vote went through. There was um, a city councillor in Everett City who basically says that they did not have the bandwidth or resources to deal with their own problems, let alone the spillover from this particular uh, ordinance or the, the, the spillover that will inevitably come from this particular ordinance. Right. OK, so so if... if but they're... they're essentially exporting uh, this problem if they can find an available place. But presumably if other towns and cities are also struggling with this problem, there won't be an available place. Exactly. And this is why uh, the people who were against this particular ordinance were saying, you know, you have to do more about expanding shelter options, you know, building affordable housing. Does it sound familiar yes. <laughs> at all? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, creating more motel space. Um, and this is what they were saying. You need to do this before you bring in this kind of punitive law. And... Uh, it's hard to disagree with those people. Uh, have they done anything about providing shelter themselves? Well, this is... Within, this is the, within they have. Elements. I mean, they, they have shelters. Um, but as I said, the rate has gone up by 50%. But instead of building shelters, they dealt with it another way by handing the problem over to motels. So they give people motel vouchers. Mm. But now their allocation has run out already this year because the numbers have gone up so much. 
Right. So, okay. so they have no more to give and there is no space. It's an interesting one, mm. really, given that, you know, we know that, that there's uh, certainly uh, within Dublin and other cities that there are some people who are rough sleeping who refuse to, to, to go to hostels, for instance, because they don't think it's safe. Yeah. Or there may be people with mental health issues Absolutely. and that's not taken into account either. Yeah. Uh, is this a popular move in the town uh, in Edmonds? I can't. I, well, I can't say to be honest with you. I mean, there was again, there was about an hour of. There's been a lot of debate over it, and there was an hour of deliberation before the vote. And there was people who were advocating for this ordinance who were saying, you know, we want our public spaces back. It's not safe. All of that kind of stuff. So it's going to be popular in some quarters for sure. Uh, right, India. We're going to go to uh, next, and a Supreme Court decision. Now, this is. Uh, have they? Have they? said this law can't be enforced anymore or what, what have they decided about this law? They're pausing it, right? So this is the Supreme Court who has decided to put a hold on a colonial era uh, law, which is a sedition law. Okay, mm. So you can imagine back in the time when the Indians, ever since the late 19th century, were advocating for independence and Gandhi and all of that. Um, this law was used by the British to fire people in jail who were, you know, really uh, seditious, I suppose. Um, So uh, it was never taken off the statute books, right? So it's known as Article 124A of the Penal Code, right? And had it been used? Ah, God, that's the whole point. It's been used an awful lot. So you imagine, you remember how... how, uh, how turbulent the whole creation of India was and everything back mm. in, when was it, 1949, was it? I can't remember. Around about then. Anyway, yeah. So you can imagine the 1950s, it was used quite a lot to such an extent, actually, that in 1962, it was reviewed by the Supreme Court there. And they said, look, this isn't being used properly. You know, kick it back to the government, which is what Supreme Courts do. And you're going to have to amend this law. But in the meantime, don't use it the way that, you know, you have been using it mm. over the last 10 years. But nobody ever went with that. And uh, successive governments right up until now have still been using it. There was a noticeable uptick when Narendra Modi came to power, right? So there's Mm. like uh, 800 cases of sedition pending in Indian courts. And you know how slowly that whole court system moves. It's really, really slow. Um, So 800 cases of sedition and there's about 13,000 people in jail, right, uh, related to those cases, okay? Um, So because it moves so slowly, an awful lot of people stay in jail. They can't be bailed out, right? But some of the cases are absolutely ridiculous. So um, there was one case uh, of a Muslim comic who was jailed preemptively for jokes that he might but did not actually make because, you know, he was fired into prison. There was another case of a group of school children, I think, or maybe their teachers, I think, were charged for not standing up during the national anthem uh, at at the end of a Mm. cinema viewing. So this kind of thing, right? But yeah. of course, Modi and his BJP party have used it against political opponents as well. Um, so uh, a case was brought uh, by a senior leader of the Opposition Congress Party. I think that's Gandhi's party as yeah. well, to mention yeah. him again. And uh, they've been successful um, in putting a stop to it for the moment. Yeah. Now, yeah, because it's if it's been paused, that implies it could be unpaused. It could be point. unpaused. But the the government who were defending it up until this judgment was given by the Supreme Court uh, have decided now that they will review it. But this, that's the big question. What will that review entail? Yeah. Or will, right. they, will they just tinker around the edges or will they scrap the law completely? Um, but uh, the court has basically said that it is not in tune with the current uh, way of things and uh, it needs to be looked at. And if it's been paused now, what does that uh, say for the 
hundreds of people who are still stuck in prison awaiting trial. Are Great they going to be let out now? Yeah, they can be let out on bail now, whereas they wouldn't have been before. They have the Supreme on Court. Bail. Uh, yeah, the Supreme Court have instructed people. So they, they've instructed the authorities no more cases to be brought around this law, right? So they're not to be charged with that. They've also said that any uh, cases that are pending, uh, people can be let out, have to be paused and people can be let out on bail. But yeah, you'll have to pay. Uh, so they could still be convicted on a law that doesn't exist anymore, yeah, theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Because the argument could be it existed at the time. So True enough. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, right, Tajikistan we're going to next. Uh, 25 people killed there in, in protests. What are the protests about? Well, I'll have to give you a bit of background. Yes, of if course. You don't mind. Yes, yeah. Right, so there's a place uh, called uh, within Tajikistan called Gornobadakshan. Okay, and Gornobadakshan What's different about it from the rest of Tajikistan is the people who live there, right? There's an ethnic group called the Pamiri. Uh, they're different from other Tajiks in that they speak a different language, mm-hmm. right? Religion is the same, but they speak a different language, really. And they have always looked at themselves as being separate from Tajikistan. And Tajikistan itself is only a very young country anyway. However, this particular area is one of those classic border regions in Central Asia, right? So it takes up 40% of Tajikistan, but it's only 3% of the population that live there. China, Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Russia have all been involved in disputes over the year, but all over the years. But over time, this section or the Pamiri people within this uh, Gorno-Badakhshan area have wanted to be independent to a degree. To to take the long road to answer your question, Mm -hmm. it's about independence, really. And... Uh, they f- there was a civil war fought over it in the 1990s and all sorts of things. Back in November, there was a protest march and that protest march got out of hand in that the authorities um, were heavy handed during it. Three people died and one of the leaders of this independence movement was arrested. He's still in prison. So that's what the protests last week were about. OK, they wanted the release of that man and they wanted people to basically answer for the deaths of the three people back in November. The police... Uh, were in the capital, they cordoned off a section, uh, they, they blocked the path of the people who were out protesting and they started opening fire. 25 people died as a result. Oh my word. Um, so it's a quite a significant um, um, escalation of ongoing troubles in an area that you know, many people probably haven't heard about before, but um, could be problematic and could be somewhere where we'll hear a little bit more about over the coming weeks. And does months. it have any degree of autonomy at the moment? It does. It is an autonomous uh, oblast, actually, to use that old Russian phrase, okay. right, from the Soviet Union. Uh, so it does have a degree of autonomy. Um, but I, th- I think they've always wanted more, even though they were sort of bet down for want of a better way of putting it yeah. back in the back in the early 2000 late 1990s early 2000s um, so but this could give rise to a reawakening I think uh, and uh, is there anything there that uh, um, that, that various oh, countries like, yes there exactly that's what I meant yeah. uh, I was trying to be cute about it no yeah. no no very good no, it's, it's, it's a great question no essentially I know ah. there is I, because I did look for that that question um, there isn't really uh, there is an elect uh, there's a hydro dam that the European Union are building with Tajikistan. I think that's the only thing I could find around minerals and that kind of thing. But I'm open to correction. Right. OK. Uh, right. Uh, Paraguay, we're going to go to uh, next. So I think there's a, um, uh, it happened on a Colombian beach. But uh, this is uh, involves Paraguay's anti-drug prosecutor. 
Yeah, a man by the name of Marcelo Pecci. Uh, he was assassinated uh, on his honeymoon. Uh, very oh. sad story. Uh, he had just announced, or his wife had just announced on Instagram that she was pregnant. And shortly after that, two hitmen showed up on a beach called Baru Beach uh, in Colombia. Uh, they arrived on a jet ski and one man got off the jet ski, went up to Pecci and shot him twice. Uh, he died on the spot. Um, nobody's really sure yet who is responsible for the killing. Yeah. Uh, although, as you can imagine, as the anti-drug prosecutor in Paraguay, he has quite a few enemies. The question is, is it a transnational criminal group or are there politicians at the root of this particular problem as well in Paraguay? There are precedents of politicians being involved, you know, really uh, uh, high-end, not high-end politicians, but, you know, very powerful politicians. I believe an ex-president back in the 1990s was involved. Mm. He was noticed as the kingpin of drugs in Paraguay. Um, so there is a precedent in that. So investigations are ongoing and the US are involved as well. Right. And are, have the Colombians made any progress in investigating this? They have a photograph I believe of a man that they're interested in and they are they want a reward for any information leading to that they also say that they were talking to the person who rented out the jet ski um, and that it was rented out to two men and they gave descriptions but it's fairly vague at the moment yeah and and the fact that he was on his maybe that was just perhaps he was on his honeymoon at the time maybe that was perhaps they knew exactly where he was and it was easier to, to target him there. Yeah, th- there is a, there is also speculation because there's, you know, media taking this and, and going everywhere with it that they followed him on the plane from Paraguay and th- they knew exactly where he was going. So he was at the tail end of his honeymoon, I believe it was the last day oh, um, when it happened. Right. OK, Malawi, we're going to go to uh, next. And uh, this is uh, another court case, but it's uh, about... Uh, um, the people who murdered a man with albinism. Yeah, it's, it's again, this is something that we've been covering mm. for years. So I just wanted to go back on this because it's actually good news from a horrible story. Uh, this is three men in Malawi who were each sentenced by a high court to 155 years in jail for killing a person with albinism. So this was a 23-year-old man who was killed back in January. One of the people who's been sent to prison was his uncle. My word. Mm. And this is still connected with it, you know, basically a traditional belief yeah. about people with albinism. Yeah, yeah, it's believed that basically the body parts can be put into a concoction and they bring you bad luck or they bring you good luck. And do you know that the killings go up uh, around this any time that there's an election in Malawi? So like politicians looking for more, you know, better luck in elections and all that kind of thing. It's a, it's a really dark sort of uh, fact around this whole thing. That's so... And, yeah. and, so a politician can gain some sort or perceive they can gain some sort of that's electoral advantage yeah. from doing oh yeah. my gosh yeah. that's pretty grim uh, right uh, what kind of stories should we look out for over the next week or so yeah a few things coming up uh, Davos is obviously happening all week so there'll be bits and pieces coming from that and then on Sunday big elections in uh, Colombia presidential elections and then on Tuesday uh, no smoking for anybody it'll be world no tobacco day so okay lots of coughing next Tuesday Jonathan <laughs> thanks a million as ever Jonathan thanks, DeBerka John. Butler there you are listening to the Moncrief show on Newstalk we're going to take a break after that the woman who uh, woke up with an Irish accent Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk. Can I tell you a secret? When you buy a mobile phone from Harvey Norman, it's SIM free. That means no long and expensive network contracts and you won't pay over the odds. You can choose the phone you want from Ireland's largest range of SIM free phones and get the accessories you need. And here's the best bit. 
With our LoveTech team, you can even trade in your old phone to save more. Who doesn't want to save money? Go sim free. Go Harvey Norman. Go! T's and C's apply. See hn.ie forward slash tech credit for more.